listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files podcast, the guitar repair podcast, the guitar workshop podcast. My name is Eric Daw. I'm your host. I've been a guitar repair dude. Some people say luthier. More on that later. Uh, For 20 years, uh, over 20 years now, I've been building and repairing and restoring guitars. Um, I've been thinking about the word luthier, and I, I've, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, maybe you remember, I don't particularly like that word, simply because uh, it, it, it insinuates that I somehow work on or build lutes, and I've never even played a lute. I'm not a luthier. So I, th- I thought up a new term. Here's, here's my new term. Let me see what you think. Guitar engineer. I like it. This is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Hi. What do you think, guitar engineer? I like it. I like it, too. It's a good I, one. I was thinking about how anybody that works in a given field is a is an engineer, like an electrical engineer. Yeah. Or a, uh, uh, a guy who drives a train is an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I drive the guitars, so I'm an I'm a guitar engineer. Um, anyway, I might start using that phrase, and I might not. We'll, I guess, we'll find out. This is a show where you, the listener, ask me guitar-related questions, either by sending them in in an email or calling the show, and then I answer them with my lovely wife and co-host Melissa. Uh, and the way to participate in the show, I really, I really hope that you will. The way to participate is go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click on the contact link and you can submit an email there. The other way to do it is call 757-774-8482. That is just a permanent voicemail. Nobody's going to answer it. You can call it Naked at four in the morning. I won't care because I won't answer it. 757-774-8482. And, uh, if, go, yes? If you are naked and it is four in the morning, just be sure not to mention that because yeah, that's pretty it, weird. Leave it to yourself. Yeah. It, it's not really necessary not to the business. show. I shouldn't have even really mentioned it. Uh, but it just happens to be four in the morning now. And I, well, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the point is, um, I'd love for you to participate in the show. And uh, I also, you know, while you're at my website, you could poke around, see what I do. I make guitars. Aside from repairing them, I make custom guitars. Pin up custom guitars is the uh, 
brand that I make. I also do a an occasional Eric Daw custom guitar. My lovely wife here makes custom guitar straps, leather guitar straps. You can see those at melcoleather.com. Yep. And uh, that's what we do. So uh, what else is new? I wanted to tell you, you know, I've talked a lot about Buddy Holly on the show just because I'm a big fan. I found out my mother is big into genealogy. She's been researching the family tree, right? Yeah. Buddy Holly is my, I, I found this out, Buddy Holly is my 12th cousin once removed. Wow. I don't even know how that's possible. You're practically brothers. Well, once you get that far removed, like 12th cousin, I think everybody's my 12th cousin, aren't they? Yeah, something. I'm probably closer related to you than that. That might be true. That might be true. So, yeah, my mother informed me of this. She also said that uh, George Washington and Jimmy Stewart are her 12th cousins. Wow. Yeah, so uh, you can imagine my surprise. I had no idea George Washington, Buddy Holly... And Jimmy Stewart were brothers. Right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is the show, except we talk about guitars, and this is the part where we talk about guitars. Shall we take some questions? Here we go. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of Hi, Eric. Simple question for you. Why do vintage finishes yellow over time? Is it just a natural thing, or is it caused by something like smoke or sunlight? Why do some yellow and others don't? Does a poly finish yellow the same as lacquer? Thanks for the great podcast, Larry in Hawaii. Cool. Thanks, Larry. Uh, it's actually something I've thought a lot about because I see a lot of vintage guitars. I work in a vintage guitar store, and I work on a lot of vintage guitars here in Seattle. It's Emerald City Guitars. And, uh, yeah, they do yellow. The, the, the older finishes get quite yellow, but it's not just the older finishes. A lot of new finishes yellow, too. It just depends on how... <clears throat> it just depends on what they've been exposed to. And really, there's... Generally speaking, there's, there's two kinds of finishes. There's evaporative and reactive. So evaporative, you could think of as... Well, it's pretty self-explanatory... You spray the paint on, and then uh, some of the chemicals evaporate, leaving a hard finish. The reactive type of finish, you spray it on, and it's mixed with another chemical or an, another substance that it reacts with and hardens that way. So, or or some some reactive finishes even just react with the air; they harden uh, when exposed to air. So, those are the two types of finishes, and. Uh, most of these kinds of finishes just yellow over time, and some of them yellow a lot worse than others. But the you know the fact is uh, that most finishing uh, resins, right? It's just like that's what the paint is. It's just a resin. Um, the yellow over time and nitro lacquer, which is what most v- most vintage finishes are nitro lacquer, and uh, the polyurethane. The other finish you see a lot on finishes on guitars uh those are the two that that yellow the worst and the reason they do this is because of exposure to mostly to light and also to air but mostly to light and smoke can do it too but um you know 
it's it's really the ultraviolet ultraviolet spectrum that it what it actually does is it breaks down the finished molecules on a molecular level over time it breaks down those molecules and it causes a reaction internally in in the finish that forms new chemicals that are yellow colored and there's other factors like you know smoke but that's really a film over the finish Interesting. Yeah, but the, it's UV light <clears throat> is what what usually causes it, and you'll see it a lot. Like if if you see a guitar that's that sat in a window, you know, a lot of guitar shops have a window where they'll put a guitar, right, and uh, with a tag on it or something. And you see this all the time: a guitar with a really yellowed finish in a white spot where the tag or a sticker was. Right. Yeah, and it's the UV light. That's that's the main culprit is UV light. And it's not just nitro lacquer. Poly does it too, but nitro lacquer does it a lot worse. Hmm. So thanks for the question, Larry. Something I've thought about a lot and I did a little bit of research on it for the uh for the show, but um yeah, really a interesting thing. Cool. Hi guys, I've heard for years that bone dust is really harmful. I always wear a mask whenever I'm using bone to make a saddle or a nut, but I'm curious if you have any insight into this. Is bone dust really as harmful as they say? I've heard it's carcinogenic or similar to asbestos and should be treated as such. Have you heard the same thing? Tim. Cool, thanks for the question, Tim. I have heard similar things, actually. Um... I don't know if it's true or not. Is it carcinogenic? Well, I mean, bacon's carcinogenic. I, everything's carcinogenic. Sunlight's carcinogenic. So I'm I'm going to assume that it is. You know, that's really the safe thing to do is just assume that it's harmful. And, you know, since bone dust doesn't naturally belong in your lungs, we can assume that it's, that it's bad, right? You don't want to breathe it in. So, yeah, always wear a mask. Always wear the proper mask or respirator. What I like to do is anytime I'm sanding on bone or filing on bone, I actually wet it so that you don't get a whole bunch of dust. I'll wet my nut files, and when I'm cutting a nut slot, it's it helps to cut a nice slot, and it also keeps the dust down. Or I'll use, you know, when I'm using sanding paper, uh, I use the wet, dry sandpaper, and, and I wet it first. And it doesn't harm the bone at all to get it wet. But that's what I do. That keeps the dust way down. Yeah, and then makes sense. If I take it to my belt sander or disc sander, I've got a a dust collection unit that sucks away most of the dust. Right. Yeah, that's the thing to do. Yeah, I assume that it's real bad, Tim, but um, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you for certain that it's carcinogenic or that it's as, as bad as asbestos. I doubt it, but it's possible. I don't know. If it were, you know, think about this. It's about the same as as uh, teeth. So if it were as bad as asbestos, you'd see a lot of dentists with lung cancer, I imagine. But they do wear face masks. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you don't need to treat it like it's uh, plutonium, but definitely, uh, you know, def- yeah. definitely wear a mask. Thanks, Tim. Eric and Melissa, here's one for you. I have a question about amps. I know this is a guitar workshop podcast, but there's a lot of talk about tone, mostly revolving around wood, pickups, pots, capacitors, and such. 
My question is, what does Eric Daw look for in a good tube amplifier to complement a properly set up and dialed in guitar? What are some of the qualities or attributes that you think are important? Is the amp one chooses not half their tone or overall sound? For example, we all know that tube amps sound the best, or are the best. However, I have recently noticed that the tube amps I own are tube rectified as opposed to solid state rectified, sound better to my ears. I don't even know what a rectifier does, but it, they seem to sound spongier and cooler. Most newer tube amps seem to have a seem to have solid state re- rectifiers. I don't know. Maybe I'm imagining the difference in tone, but I don't think so. I know this tone BS is subjective, but surely you have some thoughts you can share. I apologize if I've gone too far off the reservation with this amp question. I hope your boys are happy and healthy. Zach H. in Seattle. Right on, Zach. Thank you. Um, what does Eric Daw look for in in an amplifier? Well, uh, the first thing I look for is whether it's free or not. That's pretty. That's a pretty good thing. Free to look for. amps tend to sound way better than amps you paid for. This I, is something I found. Yeah. Uh, no, seriously. I'm not I don't I really don't think much about it, Zach. I really don't. Um and I've played enough gigs where I had to use the provided backline, you know, not my own gear, uh where I've found that, you know, I can kind of get my tone out of pretty much whatever they give me. I mean, I've had to play gigs through a uh what are those crazy jazz chorus amps? Uh, Randall chorus amp. No, what is it? What are they called? You're asking someone who doesn't play guitar. I'm I'm asking myself. Oh. Uh, yeah, you know, solid state jazz chorus amps. I've had to play through all kinds of. I've had to play gigs with a champ that just has a microphone on it. I've had to play. I've had to play a gig where I had no amp and I had to plug into the PA. (laughs) That was not fun. Um, but you know really <clears throat> in the amps that I've owned and gigged with I'm pretty I'm I'm really not picky and and here's my uh here's my criteria that I look for can I lift it is it loud enough and does it sound good and aside from that I really don't care um I do tend t- to buy amps that are older than I am I, that's I guess that's just what sounds good to me I don't know um, but you know, you try them out and you like them. I found that, <clears throat> uh, 30, 35, 40 Watts is kind of what I look for in a, in a gigging amp. Anything more than that is just too much headroom for me. Anything less than that, uh, tends to get drowned out or tends to get kind of choked out cause you're driving it too hard. Um, Fender Vibrolux is kind of my sweet spot. That's the amp that I really like, the Fender Vibrolux. And but you know they all sound different. You got to find a good one. And I don't, I don't have to have a Vibrolux. Like I said, I'll play through a, a, a solid state. You know whatever. I don't care. Uh, as long as it's got, as long as it, as long as it's got enough output and enough wattage, I can kind of get my tone out of, you know, whatever I need to usually. It might not be the best sounding amp, but you know I'm really just not that picky. So that's that's my answer. Yeah, and as far as 
solid state versus tube rectifiers. I'm with you, dude. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not an amp tech. I don't claim to be. I don't know anything about amps. I don't even know what a rectifier does either. I can tell you all about guitars, but amps, all I know is if I plug it into one and it works and it sounds good, I'm good to go. Cool. And aside from that, that's what amp techs are for. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Zach. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks again for hosting such an awesome podcast. It's been a great ride hearing you two. Eric, when installing a truss rod, does having a skunk stripe create less or more stability in the neck compared to a neck with a fretboard? Does adjusting the truss rod create a different string tension for bending notes? Thanks for both of your informative minds. All the way on the island of Vancouver, Jonathan. Cool. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, when installing a truss rod, so he's talking about the Fender-style necks, where some of them have a skunk stripe. That's the stripe on the back of the neck where the rod has been installed, and then a walnut strip has been inlaid over the right. truss rod. The other way to do it is, if there's a fingerboard, then they put the truss rod in and then the fingerboard over it. Um, is one? Does one create more or less stability uh, I don't, I, I really don't think so. I've never really thought about it. And you don't see either one, um, coming apart. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be concerned about that. Um, I, I like the idea if I'm, if I've got a maple neck that it not have a fretboard. Um, I like the idea of frets being installed directly into the neck. So like a maple you know, a maple, most maple fender style necks don't have a fingerboard. They're just a solid piece of maple with a skunk stripe in the back. Um, fender did start, you know, later on, Fender did start doing glued on maple fingerboards. Um, so there, it does happen, but uh, I I do prefer skunk stripe and a maple neck. But if you're going to have rosewood, then there's no reason to have a skunk stripe and there's nothing wrong with a rosewood fingerboard. So really it's just a, the way Fender did it was, if it's a rosewood fingerboard, there's no skunk stripe, and if it's a maple fingerboard, there is a skunk stripe. It's not about one being a better option than the other. It was just two different ways to build it, depending on what woods they were going to use. Um, and does adjusting the truss rod create a different string tension for bending notes? Well, I don't ever really think about that either, because to me, the truss rod, that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of the truss rod is is to get the neck as straight as possible. It's an adjustable rod that um, you use to straighten the neck. Uh, if it if it didn't have a tension rod inside it, it I suppose the, then the string tension would be different. But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a apples to oranges thing, you know. It, you you adjust the truss rod to get the neck straight not to uh, influence string tension. Which you know, Jonathan, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but it's just that's just not the way I think about it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Hey, Eric and Melissa, I have a question about pickup polarity on Fender-style guitars. I came across an interview with Johnny Marr on how he worked with Fender to produce his signature model, Jaguar. As part of the of the modding the of, as part of modding the Fender Jag, he changed two single coils to be the same polarity. 
Standard Jags have the two pickups with alternate polarities. The mod puts it closer to Tellys, which apparently have both pickups set to the same polarity. The reasoning is that this leads to a brighter, clearer tone as the magnets are pulling the string in the same direction. Does this sound right to you, or is this more tone voodoo? How does single coil pickup polarity pairing affect, or not, the tone of the guitar? Thanks again for the wonderful podcast. Warren in Seattle. Cool. Thanks, Warren. Um, I'm going with the uh, tone voodoo BS on this one. Because... For a few reasons. First of all, um, it it's not true that that all tellies or even most tellies have uh, pickups of the same polarity. A lot of them have opposite polarity, you know, so that they get a hum canceling uh, middle position. Um, but aside from that, you know, the way that the you know pickups, the magnets in pickups do pull on the strings a little bit. It happens way more in the neck position than it does in the bridge position. It's it's really uneven, you know. And if you think about a vibrating string and how much it's moving down by the bridge, it's barely moving at all. Um, and the the tension is uh, it's not that the tension is higher there, but but it's so close to the contact point of the bridge that the pull of the magnet it just isn't doing anything down by the bridge. Uh, by the neck, yeah, it's a little more pronounced. Um, but to worry about them both being the same polarity so that it somehow creates this magic tone is just, I'm just calling, uh, yeah, I'm calling BS on that one. I don't think that it that it has anything to do with what what Johnny Marr says, but that's my opinion. Only my opinion. What do I know, really? Um... How does single-coil pickup polarity pairing affect or not the tone of the guitar? Well, really, the only effect that it has is that uh, the the reason behind it is to get a a hum-canceling middle position. So, aside from that, it has no effect on the tone of the guitar. Yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks, Warren! Hi, Eric. What kind of acoustic guitar pickup do you recommend? What pickups on the market sound best? Thanks for your great podcast. I enjoy it a lot. James in Boise, Idaho. Thanks, James. I, uh, it depends on the guitar, actually. There are basically, there, there's basically three pickups that come to mind. The one that I've, um, installed the most of probably is the B-Band pickup. B-Band is a, uh, a manufacturer of acoustic pickups. I think they're, I think they're based in Finland or Sweden. I don't know. Um, they're European, and they—it's uh, just a thin little strip of electret material that sits under the saddle, and it's a really nice pickup. It's especially f- for a, a saddle pickup, under saddle pickup, which have kind of gotten a bad name because everybody associates under saddle pickups with the piezo elements that that don't really sound that great um but yeah the b-band pickup is a good under saddle pickup but it doesn't work for every guitar and i'm more and more i'm getting away from them because it can be so hard to install those 
uh, and get a and get the right string balance from one string to the next. With an undersaddle pickup, you 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 can so easily get uh, volume discrepancies from one string to the next because the string, or excuse me, the saddle sits in the slot with the pickup in between the slot and the saddle, and if it's not just perfectly contacting every point, then you have volume discrepancies. So the saddle, you can you can file it perfectly flat, and then you put your pickup in, and then you install it, but it's still not right. And the the problem is that most acoustic guitars, the slot isn't perfectly flat. Because when you string it up, you know, the, you look at any dreadnought or acoustic guitar, they have a slight belly, and the bridge bends just a little bit over time. Right. And the s- slot is not flat on the bottom, and you're trying to put a slat, a flat s- saddle in a curved slot, and boy, it really gets to be a mess. You can mess with those all day long and not get anywhere. So anymore, I've been using the K&K pickup, made in Oregon. K&K is a, is an, uh, it's called the K&K Pure Mini, and there are three little uh, stick-on piezo elements that, that are installed onto the bridge plate or the bridge pad. Uh, there's one for in, that goes in between two strings, so three of them, right? Right. One goes in between the E and B string, one goes in between the D and G string, and one goes in between the E and A string, and it generally sits right under your saddle on the bridge plate, and that's a really good pickup. One of the things I like about it is it's totally passive. There's no battery. It's a really good sounding pickup. It's the loudest. It has the most gain, the loudest passive pickup I've ever heard uh, as far as as uh, piezo acoustic pickups go. So that's that's my new favorite for the past few years. That's what I've been using. It's a really nice pickup. And the other thing that comes to mind is a sound hole pickup because sometimes it's... You, sometimes you run into a guitar where the bridge pad is so tiny that you can't install a K&K. And sometimes you run into a guitar where the saddle slot just won't work for a B band. So, you know, sometimes a, a sound hole pickup is the way to go. And my favorite is uh, an LR Bags. LR Bags makes a few different sound hole pickups, uh, different price points. Some are active, some are passive. They're all pretty good. So those are the three I recommend. LR Bags sa- uh, sound hole pickup, the K&K Pure Mini, and the uh, B band uh, under saddle pickup. And, and that's, I assume that he's talking about he just said acoustic guitars, but I assume he's talking about just your average garden variety dreadnought acoustic guitar. So right. th- those are the ones I recommend. Thanks, James. Yeah, thanks, James. Hi, Eric and Mel. I was thinking about what you said about Alnico only losing 1.2% of its magnetic strength over time. And I was wondering, if that's true, why are so many vintage pickups referred to as having weaker magnets? Is it just not true? What do you think? By the way, the Fret Files podcast is my favorite guitar-related podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and information and doing it in an entertaining manner. Emery from Memphis, Tennessee. Cool. Thanks, Emery. 
Yeah, that, you know, I I got that information out of a book that uh, that I bought a while back uh, by Donald Brosnack called An Introduction to Scientific Guitar Design. It was published in the 70s, and it's kind of a crazy book. It's really, it's actually kind of hard to read. It's very technical, like a technical manual. But there's information in here that I've never seen anywhere else. It's actually a really cool book. An Introduction to Scientific Guitar Design by Donald Brosnack. And I'll read you the, where I pulled that out. Uh, he says, Permanent magnets normally lose about 1% of their charge when they are first energized. After that, they lose about 0.2% for a total of 1.2% within the first year. From then on, the loss is on the order of 1% in the next several thousand years. So, uh, regarding your question, he says, um... Why are so many vintage pickups referred to as having weaker magnets? Oh, uh, my opinion is that they weren't fully charged to begin with. Hmm. Yeah. They were charged generally um, with uh, electromagnets back then. They were charged with electromagnets, where a lot of manufacturers charge with neodymium, really strong neodymium magnets now. And that actually puts a, you know, a really good strong charge right. on the Alnico if you've got a big enough neodymium magnet. So that's my guess. A lot of the old um, magnets, they've either become degaussed because they came into contact with another magnet, or they just weren't fully, they just weren't fully charged uh, at the time of manufacture. But this is an interesting book. Check it out if you're into crazy guitar books. I found my copy on Amazon. Pay no attention to the Amazon reviews there. It really got bad reviews, but I think it's a great book. One of the reviews said, "Don't bother. This is a book about nothing." <laughs> If you're looking for a how-to book or, you know, how to wind pickups or anything like that, this is not your book. But it's but it's really interesting theory about why guitars sound the way they do and and what different, uh, you know, what different guitars, uh, what their basic physical properties are and, you know, things about, like, like I just read about the properties of Alnico magnets. Really interesting information in there. It's a cool book. Eric, I was wondering if it's possible to get electrocuted by working on an electric guitar while it's plugged into the amp. It doesn't seem likely, but if it's plugged into the amp, isn't it like working on an amp while it's on? It's all the same circuit if the guitar is plugged in. Is it safe to do this? Thanks for the great podcast, Darren. Yeah, thanks, Darren. That's a uh, no, it's a thoughtful question, you know, it, it's, it, you're, you're thinking and that's, that's good. But, uh, yeah. So like, have you ever plugged in a cable to an amp and then just touched the, the other end of the cable and heard the little buzz, buzz sound? Yeah. You know, you, that, if it were going to electrocute you, it would electrocute you then. There's just no way for the... Um, the bad electricity that's in the amp that'll stop your heart to make its way up to the guitar because, um, uh, because just because of the way amps are. I'm not even going to try to explain it because I'm not an amp tech. But no, it, it doesn't send. 
enough it doesn't send electricity up to your guitar to where it's going to electrocute you there are instances where people have been standing in water and then they go up and they they put their lips on a microphone and they're holding their guitar and you get electrocuted you know it, it can happen in certain instances where nothing's grounded right and all that jazz so i should i guess i should say that but what instance is this where somebody somebody's standing in water yeah they have well a guitar. You, it happens like at an outdoor festival people get electrocuted occasionally okay it's interesting yeah if your amp is out of phase with the pa and then you go and it it's it happens a lot you know you go put your lips up to the microphone and it goes instead of you singing you go oh because it electrocutes you it happened to me a lot it, when i was gigging it's really not good for the song you step up to the mic to sing and, and you look like you got kicked in the stomach it's bad news and it smarts it does it's, so it's not like stop your heart electrocuted no. just like a no no, there's 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 transformers and filter capacitors in the amp that are filtering out the. I'm not even going to try to explain it, you know. Okay. But if there's an amp tech out there listening who disagrees with me or would like to chime in on that, please write in and tell us. Uh, you can do so by going to ericdaw.com, send an email there, or call the show seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. Hi, Eric. I have an under-saddle piezo pickup in my triple-lot C Martin. It's a good pickup. I've been happy with it, but it's developed a hum that wasn't there before. The pickup is a few years old, and the local tech here says it's simply time to replace it. Have you ever come across this problem? Why would the pickup start to hum all of a sudden? There must be an underlying reason. The hum goes away if I touch the jack to ground it, so it must have some sort of ground problem. Can this be repaired, or should I just have it replaced? Thanks for the show, Je Jeremy in Riverside, California. Cool. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, yeah, typically, or at least the, my guess is what's going on is you've got one of those thin line piezo under saddle pickups that's wrapped in foil, and that foil is the ground, and it's really easy for that super thin foil to get damaged, and if that foil gets damaged, then it's not it's no longer shielded. And uh, then you get a hum. I've seen that a lot. So uh, it can be kind of repaired um, if you're very dainty about it and if you're very careful. Uh, but your tech is probably right. Those those piezo elements are cheap enough that it's probably cheaper just to replace just the element rather than try to repair it. Most of those... Um, most of those... Uh, pickup systems you can just unplug this the uh the pickup from the preamp and take the whole thing out and put a new one in and uh it's no big deal or it's hardwired to a jack in which case you just unhook it from the jack and then put in a new one so not not a huge deal okay that's probably the best way to go is to replace it but yeah hey eric and melissa i recently acquired a michael kelly patriot electric guitar which is really must, much nicer than I expected it to be. But someone spray-painted over the original finish. So is there any way to get the spray paint off without damaging the original finish? Also, thank you for the best guitar podcast ever. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. 
Right on, Tom. Um, Michael Kelly, I think that that's an Asian uh, polyurethane finish guitar. So probably what you can do is take a solvent like perhaps acetone, perhaps naphtha. I don't know what's going to take the spray paint off. But what you want to do is you want to test the the original finish in an inconspicuous area. So maybe take the neck off if it's a bolt-on neck. Check the paint that's in the neck pocket there. Rub it with acetone and see if it harms the finish. If it does, then don't proceed. If the if the underlying finish isn't harmed by acetone, then go for it. You, you should be able to take that... Uh, you should be able to take the spray paint off. The spray paint is probably going to be way easier to take off than the polyurethane underneath it would be. So, in theory, you should be able to strip that spray paint off, uh, revealing the original finish, but you never know what you're going to find under there. That's one thing, but it should be you should be able to do it. Maybe take off the pit guard or take off a pickup and test in the pickup cavity. Test the finish with whatever solvent you're going to try to use, make sure it doesn't damage the finish first. Because what I don't want you to do is to get into a giant mess and then be mad at me. That's bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, so try that. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Did I explain that? Yep. Well, and looks like we've got one more question, then we'll take a break. Hi, guys. My husband and I listen to podcasts together. He makes me listen to guitar podcasts, and I make him listen to true crime podcasts. I usually enjoy your show because I can relate to Melissa, even if I find guitar talk a little boring. But I'm curious, if you don't mind a non-guitar question, do you both listen to podcasts as well? What are some of your favorite podcasts? I'm always looking for new good ones. Thanks for making your guitar podcast listenable for spouses. Mary and Ty in New Mexico. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, no, we don't mind an, an, a non-guitar question at all. That's fine. And uh, yeah, we do listen to different podcasts together and yeah. separately. What uh, What are your, some, some of your favorite podcasts? Uh, th- there's one we listen to a lot called Futility Closet. And it's just kind of a... They, they just have a grab bag of random historical stories and weird facts and... It's a cool podcast. It's a cool website, actually. Yeah, forgotten things of history. Yeah, and weird. Just weird. Just weird stories and anomalies. And yeah, things that you'd just never hear anywhere else. An idler's miscellany of facts and history. Yeah, that's what he says. Something like that. Anyway, that's a cool podcast. What else do we listen to? I listen to one called Thinking Sideways, where they talk about different mysteries and unsolved crimes and you know all kinds of stuff i don't remember what it's called i used to listen to a to a food podcast that was actually kind of a relationship podcast where different couples would call in about their food related quarrels weird and god there's really a podcast for everything i know but it was such a funny podcast i wish i could remember what it was called weird yeah i don't remember what it was called (coughs) i occasionally listen to uh Adam Carolla's show and different, you know, there's some comedy podcasts and different. I've I've been listening to a little bit of a. Oh, what's the guy's name? Now I can't remember. Uh, he does a. Uh, 
He does a history show. Uh, I'll remember it if I start talking about something else. But of course, one of my favorite podcasts is the Fretboard Journal. They have a great guitar-related podcast. Your husband already probably makes you listen to that one. So if you haven't checked out the Fretboard Journal podcast, and you're a guitar fan, check that one out. That's a, They do a great podcast. It's weekly. They interview players and luthiers and builders, and they interviewed me. <laughs> I don't know why, but they did. There you go. Any other podcasts you want to mention? Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for submitting questions. Uh, we really appreciate it, because without it, we wouldn't have a show. So keep them coming, please. Send in your questions. Even if you think uh, that it's not good enough, send it in. It's good enough. It's good enough. It's plenty good. You just send it in. Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send it in there, or call 757-774-8482, or you can text that number, 757-774-8482. We're going to take a little break and then come back with... uh, some special content for you. So stick around. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. CO-Leather.com. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage-sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat, 50-style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I I ended up buying two of them, and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own ten of them. 
Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Well, thanks for listening to the show. I had one more thing that I wanted to uh, add today, and that was to go over shop safety rules. Oh, yeah. I know. It sounds boring. It's really not. You know, shop safety, if, you, if you're if you working <clears throat> with power tools, if you're working in a guitar shop or in a in a uh, repair shop or in any woodworking situation, um, you really need to be safe, especially if you're a guitar player, man. Think about your fingers. you got to keep those things safe. Um, but uh, the uh, previous uh, question about, about uh, bone dust uh, from Tim uh, made me think about this, you know. I've never really gone over these shop safety rules, but I have a list here of shop safety rules. This is I've compiled this from a few different sources and added a few of my own. But this is a 22-point list of shop safety rules. Um, I put it at the end of the show. If it's boring to you, fine, whatever, you know, skip it. But uh, if you're working on guitars, really, it's worth a listen. I'm telling you. It's nothing to mess around with, man. I want you to be healthy and happy, and I want you to have all your fingers, and I don't want you to lose your vision to flying uh, shrapnel. (laughs) So... Here we go. Eric's shop safety rules. Number one, use safety glasses, cover goggles, or face shields while using tools of any kind. I have, um, I wear prescription glasses most of the time, and I've had them put in, um, oh, the, the carbonate, whatever, the plastic, uh, lenses that are, uh, 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 they're safety glasses, basically, so, um, I'm basically always wearing safety glasses, and that's important when you're using tools. Number two, wear appropriate clothing for the job. Shoes should always be worn in the shop area. No sandals. The minimum footwear should cover the entire foot. Do not wear ties, loose clothing, loose apron, jewelry, etc. around moving or rotating machinery. This is important. Uh, Yeah, just as an, an aside... I think the only place sandals are appropriate is at the beach. So, no sandals in the shop. Uh, Number three. Long hair must be tied back or covered to keep it away from moving machinery. So, you hashers, I don't want you to get your long long hair stuck in the uh, belt sander. Number four. Always wear a dust mask when doing any sanding or any work that produces airborne particulate matter. Number five, keep a well-stocked first aid kit in the shop and check it regularly. Yeah, you need to restock it, you know. People use up Band-Aids. It's a good thing to have, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of things in there. Um, antibacterial ointment, uh, bandages, um, all kinds of things. Eye wash, you know. Number six, do not operate any item of equipment unless you're familiar with its operation. Oh, that's a big one. Don't just jump into working with a router or something like that if you're not familiar with it. Have somebody who knows about it show you about it. Show you the safety features. Show, to how to, show you how to safely operate the thing. Um, uh, that's one of the beauties of uh, uh, having the Internet now 
is all of the uh, content available on YouTube. If you don't know how to use something, if you if you've if you've bought a new, I don't know, whatever router or a new uh, belt sander or or a new uh, a new saw, um, check and and see if there's a video about it on YouTube, how to safely operate it and and what what the machine does. Where are we? Number seven, machines must be shut off when cleaning, repairing, or oiling. A lot of these are just common sense, but hey, you know, it's worth mentioning. Number eight, hand protection. Hand protection in the form of proper gloves should be used for handling hot objects, glass, or sharp-edged items. Number nine, do not work in the shop if tired or in a hurry. You know, it's easy to become, it's, it's easy to become sidetracked or overwhelmed, especially if you work in a busy shop like I do. you got to be on your toes, man, especially if you're working with power tools and sharp objects and uh, all kinds of things like that. you got to be safe. Number 10, never indulge in horseplay in the shop areas. 11, never interrupt someone's concentration when they're using power tools of any kind. Well, that's a big one for me. Man, I hate that it's so bad. Sometimes I'll be running some machine or a piece of equipment and somebody will bust in the room and go, Hey, Eric, you've got a call in line one. Man, it can wait. I don't care if it's the president. You, you don't interrupt me when I'm when I'm, when I'm running a, a saw, a scroll saw, cutting out a pit guard or something. Keep fingers clear. Number 12, keep fingers clear of the point of operation of machines by using special tools or devices such as push sticks, hooks, pliers, etc. Never use a rag near moving machinery. 13. Practice cleanliness and orderliness in the shop area. Oh, that's a big one for me. Oh, yeah. I like that. 14. Keep the floor clean, dry, and free from trip hazards. Do not allow debris to accumulate. Number 15. Think about, think through the entire job before starting. Boy, that's not only a good safety rule, that's just a good, that's just a good general rule. Number 16, do not drink alcoholic beverages before or during work in any shop area. Yeah, that goes for, uh, obviously, any kind of a impairing drug or anything. You know, even cough syrup, right? Number 17, don't rush or take chances. Obey all safety rules. Number 18, follow all appropriate precautions when working with solvents, paints, adhesives, or other chemicals. Use appropriate protective equipment. Always wear a respirator mask when painting or using any chemicals with harmful vapor. Use gloves when handling chemicals. Number 19. Check the power cords and plugs on portable tools for damage or fray before using them. Number 20. Always store oily rags in a metal container. Those are combustible and they can spontaneously combust. So, yeah, that's a that's good advice. 21. Keep a dedicated and up-to-date fire extinguisher in the shop at all times. Number 22, use adequate ventilation when soldering. Wash your hands after handling solder or electronics containing lead. Never leave a hot soldering iron unattended. So that's my 22 shop safety rules that I that I put together just for you guys. And uh, I hope that you get something out of that. 
Anyway, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. You know, it's good to brush up on things like shop safety, even if it's a, it's a little boring. It's a little like going back to school. But hey, seriously, this is serious stuff, man. You could lose a finger. So, uh, you know, I, I just want you guys to be safe and happy and healthy. Keep working on your guitars. Keep sending in questions. Keep listening to the show. I really do appreciate all of you who listen. And uh, I, I really do. I, I appreciate it a lot. So thank you very much. And uh, thanks so much to my wife, Melissa Daw, for co-hosting the show with me. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com for uh, putting our podcast on his network. Thanks to... Uh, Jay Boone and the crew at Emerald City Guitars who sponsor this show and keep it going. And really, thanks to you for listening. I really do appreciate it. So we'll we'll see you next month, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye.